Hey, pass me a beer. Look, at least promise me you won't drink. Alcohol always leads to trouble. Hey, who wants to play drink the beer? Right here. <laughs> you win. All right, what do I win? Another beer. Just have a cup of coffee. Beer it is. Coffee? Beer. I'd kill for a beer. <gasps> Cheap beer and a sympathetic ear. Step right up. Hi. Hi. Hi guys. Hey everybody. <laughs> hey, what's up everybody? It's Beer Labs Podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, tonight is not beer. <gasps> First time. What, what Might be it? something even better. Might be something better. <laughs> Good dare I say. Dare I say. Jake, what do we what do we got tonight, Jake? Tonight we have a special guest, one of the I, I think it would be correct in saying founders of Chicago Distilling Company. That's it. Yep. Correct. Jay DePrizo. I was say, does he have a name or is he going to call him the guy from Chicago Distilling The company? guy. Well, that's pretty cool the in guy. itself. The guy <laughs> distilling in Chicago. He's the, He's the man. He is the man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jay, thanks uh, for joining us. You bet, guys. Thanks we, for having me. We normally talk beer, but we have no problem drinking hard stuff. So, And quite an affection for yes. hard stuff. Yeah, actually. Ah, right on. Very cool. Um, Jake and I in the st- Studio, so fancy. Have uh, what's this? Finn's gin? Is that what it's called? Finn's gin. We were able to procure a bottle. I had to nice. huff. Turn that camera up there. Do a little work uh, around Chicago, but I I was able to find some. There you go. It's on your camera now. You went all around Chicago. All around. He, no. Did you I hear didn't. him? He jumped across a river. I did, I did swim across a river. Yeah. That's amazing. So he'll be dead in about a week after swimming in that water. Yeah. Uh, drink drink the hard booze. Put it <laughs> yeah, on you a little right. bit. I just rub it all it. over You'll your body because right. uh, that's <laughs> dangerous to drink that stuff. So, um, Chad, we couldn't get any for you, uh, but what what do you have? No, that's that's uh, that's quite all right. Uh, save some for me, though, when I get down there next we time. I'm ha- I'm drinking um, my own version concoction of a Manhattan. This is a... Uh, Bourbon Door County Cherry Manhattan. Oh boy! Using Jefferson's right bourbon. Look at that! All right, we have. Is that the uh, aged aged at Ocean or just a regular label? Just a very small batch. I have the I have batch seventeen um, aged in, aged in the ocean uh, or at at sea. Uh, yeah, but this right. is just their this is just their regular uh, very small batch. Right on. Cool. Sweet. And I was oh. tempted, Jay. Uh, they did have the barrel aged gin. Oh yeah. What's the uh, uh, story behind that one? So uh, that's something we do. We can only use a whiskey barrel once in our business when we're making whiskey. So uh, instead of just immediately selling that to different breweries around the area, uh, we'll take some of our gin and we'll barrel age it in there. And really, what we use barrel aged gin for is transitioning seasons in the cocktail world. So as you leave summer and head into fall and everybody wants to start drinking brown spirits, it brings in more of those um, caramel and savory notes from the whiskey barrel into that gin. So a little twist on gin and a a nice transitional application for gin as we head into whiskey season. Now, Jake, you, you don't like low ABV. Is this, is this high enough? For you, this is this is, this? is a great. Okay, yeah. I'm just making sure. This is not a <laughs> sessionable beer. I'm very happy to be <laughs> yeah. in this space. And I, uh, I just took my first sip, and it was. It is good. Fantastic. This is, uh, yeah, this is really good. And I, I don't know what it is. There's some something in there that's different that tastes really good. And I am, um, 
I'm not into sort of the piney gins. Um, this is this. I'm is not, not either. That That's the all. problem I have with gins. Typically, is the pininess. Piney. And I had um, Jay. I don't. I don't know if you have heard of or or are familiar with Hatch Distillery up in Door County, Wisconsin. But they've got a gin that they make. Uh, they do all of their spirits with honey as their sugar rather than cane sugar. Okay. And it, it's the only gin that I've come across that I have enjoyed. And I wish I could try this, uh, the, the gin that uh, the guys are having tonight. But We'll try to save some for you, but not make any Yeah, save some for me as I'm uh, I'm only 60 miles away. So. Yeah, right. We're, we're starting to trickle into uh, Green Bay up there a little bit. So close, uh, but not quite at Door County per se. Um, well, I'm, I'm not in Door County. I live in Milwaukee, but. Uh, oh, he loves Door County, though. We're love, definitely yeah. there. Well, that's good. That's one of the questions they have for you at some point here to figure out where you distribute, but we can get into that in here in a little bit. But What am I tasting in here? It tastes the different. juniper? I, oh, it's I good, know. though. Yeah. It's really good. So the the way it works, and when you guys are referencing the piney aspects of gin, um, that's primarily derived from a juniper berry. So the, the right. rules, the federal code of federal regulations we have to follow for gin, the standard of identity, is that the main flavor profile needs to be derived from the juniper berry. So the heavier um, piney flavor profile, that is usually what's referred to as a London dry style gin. That heavier pine, when you have like a gin martini, et cetera, it has a dry finish. Okay. What we're making with fins is what's being now known more as an American style gin. So like you were speaking about Hatch, right? And some of the more craft distilleries popping up. Now we're all kind of expanding what goes into gin. So for fins per se, um, some of the more unusual botanicals in there, there's 11. Um, three of the more unusual ones are hibiscus flowers, um, cardamom, and Szechuan peppercorn. So we dial way back on that juniper. We take away that dryness and that heavy pine that you would associate. I give people the um, the uh, flavor profile of like beef eater or tangeray, right? Yes. Two standards everybody knows. They've had them at some point in their life, whether it was good or bad. <laughs> um, so the opposite of that and try to make something that's a little bit more unique and a little bit more palatable. So Fins has brought a lot of people back to the gin category and there's definitely a resurgence in gin, especially in the Chicagoland area. I mean, I'm, I'm a big time Hendrix fan of, <laughs> well, Jimmy and the gin, but um, the... <laughs> This is better than that. I like this better than Hendrix Gin. I agree. That's surprised because I haven't yet to find a gin that I like better than that. This is good. I think it has more yeah. complexity, honestly. And there's all kinds of sort of citrusiness uh, popping hey, out to me. Chad, I'm really sorry, but there won't be any left. <laughs> it might not survive. <laughs> it might not survive the night, Chad. Yeah. Um, well, Jay, we've gotten a little ahead of ourselves uh, talking about this, uh, this gin here. Can you roll us back a little bit and talk about how this started? And and where yeah, Chicago distilling came from? I mean, I did peruse your site and I saw, um, you know, right there on the homepage, you know, what the inspiration was. Um, but if you could really walk us through the story of how this came to be, um, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, you bet. Um, so, quick summary of the inspiration because it is out there on the website, and the website's a little bit dated, but. We'll go with it. Uh, we used to moonshine with my wife's family um, in the northern Wisconsin area, um, up north of Eagle River, if you guys are familiar with that area. 
Yeah, um, I used to live in uh, in Swamico on the north side of Green Bay. So. Oh, right on. Yeah, I know Swamico. My uh, my wife's cousins live there. I've, I've frequented Swamico. I dig it. Cool. Were you on the Moonshiner TV show? No, <laughs> not at all. Oh, okay. So you have you have all your show, you have all your teeth, and you're not like yeah. Wearing we're we're uh, slightly more educated, and Sorry, that's good. I guess a little bit more photogenic in a different kind of way because yeah. they're very photogenic yeah. in their own special way. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Not a photo you'd want to see, but a photo you have to see. Yeah, I, get it. Uh, I love Tickle, dude. If he's still on, like uh, for like the second season, I think they did like all the Tickle musings, etc. Good stuff. Um, but anyways, so used to do that up there during deer season, right? Uh, playing cards, drinking beer, shooting deer, making alcohol. All that kind of stuff. Then in 2010, Illinois created the craft distiller's license. So at that point, my brother and I kind of looked around and we were trying to figure out, all right, what does, what entails a craft distillery, especially in the state of Illinois and, and more locally in the city of Chicago. So looked into it. There wasn't much competition out there, um, if any, really. So we decided to give it a go. Uh, it took us like two and a half to three years to actually get everything together um, and built and equipment purchased and space leased, et cetera. Um, so we opened our doors. Well, we started distilling October, legally distilling October 2013 at our space down in Logan Square in Chicago. Um, and then we opened up the tasting room January 2014. And it's been uh, fast forward, we're about eight states, and we ship to Australia right now. Um, so six years later, wow. that's kind of where we sit. Now, what what was that process like? I mean, I, I've looked into opening a brewery, and I know it's a pain in the ass and very expensive. Is distilling just as much of a pain and even more expensive? Or Yeah, I'd say opening is they're all pains, right? Because you got to go through all the paperwork and get federal and state, and then of course local municipality to get on board with it. Um, costs are a little bit different in distillation. Um, so I've looked in doing a, a brewery in our facility as well. We have a, I think, class one brewer's permit, and I've had that for like three years. I've just never taken a crack at putting a small, you know, like three or five barrel brew house in there just for on-premise beer only. Um, so I know the comparison of the two. Distillation's a little bit different. The the still we have essentially, I could put an entire five barrel brew house in um, for the cost of the still. So oh, it was geez. startup cost about double um, the hard, the heavy expense that comes in a distillery if you choose to make whiskey is that's an overhead business. So we make the whiskey. You know, if I make whiskey today, it's not coming out of that barrel for at least four years. So you're sitting on all that for four years. So that's where a lot of expenses pile up um, and it can become overwhelming. Crazy. So do you have a separate location, Jay, that you're you're aging and storing and taking this um, through the process? Or does that all happen at your Logan Square location with, the, with respect it's to all- the whiskey? Yeah, it's all in the Logan Square uh, location right now. So we stay small, um, and there's a couple reasons. So as we grow, we like to have measured growth. When you open a new state, you've got to make sure, all right, you're not just selling 40, 50 cases of booze to a distributor, and they're placing it there, and then it's going to sit on shelves and collect dust. There's no point to doing that. 
So we intentionally keep the distillery small right now. We make about 4,000 cases of alcohol per year, and that's all alcohol. We make about 11 different labels at our distillery, um, and then we slowly grow that. The, the piece that happens if we overinvest in equipment, um, to me, that's just bad, you know, kind of fiscal policy here or policing of, of cash flow. And what I mean by that is if I have a still, right, I buy a larger still and it's sitting and it's not running for three days because there's not the demand in additional states to open up, uh, uh, open up those additional states. To me, that's a loss of cash. I'd rather focus that money, those sales efforts, you know, the minimal marketing efforts we have right now in Chicago. So we make sure that we right now run two distillations per day, six days a week for the most part. Um, so we're pretty much at capacity of where we're at. We could add a, a third shift, but quite honestly, it, it's just kind of overkill for what the market has for us right now. So, so you're um, not to the point where you're, you're having to turn any potential business away uh, because you have that no, tempered, you know, growth? Yeah, we just slowly grow. So well, let me redef- redefine that. Um, depending on the type of spirit. So when we first opened up, you know, six years ago, we were pretty democratic on what we made on the still. So um, I said 11 spirits, and this is just theoretical because over about two or three years, we created all those 11 spirits. But on day one, just for simple timeline, think of it like this. Um, on day one, we made one spirit for an entire month for the year, right? Now, as we've seen with the bourbon coming out and obviously the popularity of the bourbon category, bourbon outsells all other whiskeys. So we've adjusted our production schedule over time to now for six months out of the year, we're making bourbon and the other six months we're making the other 10 different spirits that go in. So we're making much more bourbon these days on our limited production capability than we were in the past. So your your bourbon demand equals the demand of all others currently? Yeah, for sure. that's kind of the way things are going, though. I mean, it, I mean, bourbon's getting more expensive because the demand is, in the last year or so, maybe two years, I've noticed prices going up a little bit, and the 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 interest and demand in bourbon is, I think, it's going to skyrocket in the next couple of years. Yeah, um, and if you, uh, I follow a lot of writers and critics and enthusiasts somewhat closely. Let's just say they come up in my social media feeds. So I see a lot of concern about that and prices for sure. Right. We're in the Midwest. We're value driven people, myself included, and a lot of complaints, right? Cause when they used to get bottles, when people used to be able to get a bottle of, you know, an eight year, their eight year brand for a third of the price they get it for now, it's, it's simple supply and demand. The hard thing um, is that, all distilleries, right? Ourselves included, and even the macros, you know, down in Kentucky, you can't predict the future. So if there's an eight year bourbon you loved in 2011, they might not have been making as much of that bourbon as demand is today, right? So they have to catch up to it. Um, So it's difficult. And that's kind of what comes into play on the price fluctuations that we're seeing right now. Eventually, the market will right itself. um, But it's not a uh, high turnover product, you know, like if you need more socks, the factory can make more socks in two months, right? <laughs> it's like, well, shit, this has to sit in age for eight years for right. that specific product you liked. So it's a little bit harder to manage. <laughs> 
Jay, do you have anything that's been, um, you know, sort of aging and sitting since uh, pretty close to launch that hasn't even been put out to the consumer? No. Um, And if we do, it's a lost barrel somewhere. (laughs) So people (laughs) ask that all the time. I mean, essentially what it comes down to is you got to keep the doors open. So there's different techniques and distillation methodology and size of barrels and aging. Now, as we've evolved as a distillery, we've kind of changed our point of view on that. And we can have a follow up on that in a second. Um, But bottom line, you know, we got our early bourbon releases to a a point. The first ones that came out were uh, about 19 months or so in smaller barrels, heavier chars. So a lot of the extraction phase of barrel maturation happened a lot faster just based on uh, ratios of charred wood to spirit in that barrel. So we did a lot of that, but we've evolved our methodology over, you know, the six years. And now we won't lay down any whiskey and anything smaller than a standard 53-gallon whiskey barrel. Did you guys um, – uh, the company was founded in 2010. Did you guys do any sourced whiskey before yours was ready? Or did you guys no. just do clear spirits clear in the beginning? Spirits. Yeah. Yep. So we opened our tasting room with our white whiskey and vodka. That was it. So you, yeah. you got, when we first opened, it was crazy. The place was packed, right? Half the people understood it. The other half were like, well, where's your bourbon? And we're like, well, this is white whiskey. It comes up a still has a sitting age. They're like, this sucks. I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm like, you've probably never had this. This is more like a moonshine type product, right? Um, so half the people that were casual drinkers were like, this place is lame. Uh, the other half of the people were like, cool, we get it. You know, it's more of a come along the journey with us type thing than here's sourced whiskey that we're putting out there that we're buying from another distillery. We didn't want to take that. I mean, the price of our booze is, it's not cheap. Um, you know, at Benny's, our bottle of bourbon and other, the Garfields of the world, you know, the Whole Foods, et cetera, it's right around 40 bucks, right? Um, it's not inexpensive. So for us, we wanted something that was actually made on site where if you wanted to, you could come out and see it and meet us and be like, okay, that's why we're paying extra for that booze right now. Um, no, that's, eventually, that's... yeah, we do want to drive that price down, but that's just as production grows. So no, we that's, don't store. Uh, that's awesome. I I mean that's t- I, t- I totally respect that, and uh, I will I will gladly if I can find it at like Total Wine or something in in Brookfield, I will gladly go spend the forty bucks and get some uh, Blind Tiger or something because um, I I love the story and knowing that I'm getting whiskey that's still by you guys and not sourced. Um, I you know I I'll happily pay the premium for it. And Jay, that that yeah. ha, that Chad bursted my bubble on that. So <laughs> I, I won't oh. say, I won't I won't say their name, but I was telling these guys how oh look at this new distillery. Look, I got batch one. You gotta try this. You gotta try this. And you know Chad's at my house, and you know he he tries it and he drinks some of it. He's you know it's good. It's good. He's like you know they didn't make this. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> He's like there's no way that they would be ready for this. This is sourced. Right. 
Yeah, yeah I was just like, like you son has of been a open bitch. A year. Why did you tell me that? I don't want to know that. Let me believe <laughs> that I had the first. And then he told Damn him, there's no Santa Claus. Yeah, and then he blew up Santa for me. Yeah. So uh, it was a it was a difficult night. <laughs> so what's what's that uh, what's that experience for you? Because I sit there and I'm I think I I watch the beer world very closely, um, and I'm draw you know as much as I can kind of some analogies to all the fanaticism around craft beer and how it's awesome because you get to see the guys and girls that are making it and all that different stuff. And if that stuff happened in the beer world, I think it would kill a brewery and in the spirit world. A lot of people are kind of like, meh, whatever it's cheap. I'll buy it. <laughs> I don't know. What, what was your thoughts? I mean, obviously you kind well, of alluded to it, but I was, a little deflating, you know, in general, I don't know that I had spent enough time formulated an opinion about it. I don't like, know. I think I don't think many people know that yeah. distillers do that. I had it put yeah, that I think sourced yeah. sourced whiskey is a is kind of a hidden thing in the in the still world. I mean yeah. people yeah. that aren't really familiar with how it actually works will would never know. I, I didn't I didn't have the proper context or frame of opinion. I can tell you you're you're certainly correct that if it happened with a brewery that I was a fan of that would pretty much Yeah, but breweries contract brew all the time. Yeah, but if they were if they were con- if they were contracting like initial brews and not necessarily being transparent that it was contracted out, that might at the beginning sort of sour my initial impressions of yeah. them. Um, I, I I can tell you, Jay, I was I was distraught to say the least <laughs> when Chad informed me of that. Almost unconsolable. It was pretty sad. Actually. And I, I told Chad that I was like, "Listen, I'm going to keep this fucking bottle because it says batch one on it." And we're never going to talk about this again. <laughs> it was. I, I felt really bad. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I got respect for, for uh, the, the decision that you made there. Um, right on. Let, let me ask, have you been happy with um, the Logan Square location? Has that, has that driven sort of the foot traffic? I know you are a couple doors down from a... Um, a location that we're huge fans of as Chicago beer drinkers, um, uh, being Revolution. Um, but has that has that location fared uh, sort of to your plan, your projection, and and how you want to sort of grow that brand locally? Yeah, it's been good. Um, that part of the block, if you've ever spent um, like a Saturday night down there, that part of the block has changed a little bit. Um, but in general, it's been pretty positive. I live in Logan square, so that's obviously really nice. Um, but it's been good. The thing we miss is we don't get a lot of the, uh, I'll just call it the suburban crowd coming down, you know, on a Saturday afternoon. Hey, we're not open on Saturday afternoon. We tried that early and we just couldn't get the draw. Um, because for some reason, and I understand it, but drinking hard alcohol might be a little too non-taboo at Saturday at 2 p.m. for most people. You're talking, you're talking to the wrong people right now for that one. Yeah, I was going to say, that doesn't make sense to yeah, me. Yeah, right. As long as I'm not, um, as as I'm not driving. So you, <laughs> yeah, right. You miss, you miss kind of that daytime element, and yeah. we get a lot more you know, nighttime cocktailers. I think it's just the business that we're in. It's more cocktail-focused. As opposed to, you know, like a beer garden type environment where, you know, it, beer's great. Beer, uh, I love beer. Beer's common for everyone, right? It's the common man's drink. It's very approachable. Not everybody feels that way about whiskey. Um, so yeah. the city's been good on the nightlife scene for sure. 
that daytime, like, oh, let's take a day trip and go somewhere. We miss that because that's a little more destination to places that are, if you ask me, outside of the city or on a way, especially in the summertime, someone's lake house, et cetera. Now, I don't know if any if distilleries do this, but like, you know, breweries will have, you know, their tap room or whatever, but then they'll have, you know, another location on the other side of town or, you know, farther out in the burbs to get those suburban people. Is that something distilleries do where they'll have, you know, you can come have it at a distillery, but we also have this location, you know, up here where you can also get a drink that would grab the suburban people? Uh, so we're not allowed to. So oh, we're under really? the craft distillers license. We're governed different by the state of Illinois. Um, and a lot of it comes back to tax liability. So per bottle of uh, spirit versus let's just call it like, excuse me, a 12 pack of beer. The tax liability is much higher on that single bottle, meaning we pay more in taxes to the state and the federal government than you would pay in a case of beer. Okay. Um, so they're very hard on regulations as far as what we can do and where we can essentially do what I would call an internal transfer of our spirit from one location to another. They just don't like it leaving the facility because then there's opportunity for stuff to go missing, et cetera. Um, the second is the nature of what we do. We produce high proof alcohol. So a lot of that comes down to local municipalities and fire safety, but in the state of Illinois, you cannot have a remote, uh, let's just call it distillery pub or brew pub, similar to breweries. We're not allowed really? to do that. If so you did that, if you open a second location, you have to then essentially mirror everything you're doing. So you, you have, have to distill, to out distill of that and produce on premise. Yeah. Shit, Jay. So, so we're worried about hijackers and fires. That's fucked up. Wow. <laughs> there's all there's all precedents there, so. I guess it makes sense. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. I don't think so. I don't. <laughs> that makes no sense. Um, Jay, so ducktailing on a comment that you made earlier about um, you say ducktailing or dovetailing. Du- I was going to say ducktailing. Duck duck is that a word? <laughs> it <laughs> is now. Whatever. I could say it. Yeah. Man, yeah, car- brings, cartoons and breweries. <laughs> 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 We're just having some fun here. <laughs> so we're talking about sort of the behavior of drinking um, relative to perhaps Have beer, some more gin. Maybe beer drinkers. Yeah. Words when it's more ice, and let's go. <laughs> so I was going to try to pick <laughs> your brain a little bit later. We were uh, later in the, the show about perhaps the future, but it kind of kind of got the uh, gears turning. Is it possible that, because I, I see two things happening, because we spend a lot of time looking at beer trends, and, and two trends, mm-hmm. um, one that concerns the beer industry and one that's changing the beer industry, and maybe they're sort of of the same trend and maybe not. Um, but one is you see uh, younger consumers uh, more interested in, in you know liquor and, and perhaps wine than beer, um, and some of that might be health conscious and some of that um, might just be purely their, their tastes. Um, but then the other thing that you're seeing with the beer that the, the, the beer is reacting to, which could be connected to this, is getting away from some of the high ABV, some of the high barrel age, um, focusing more on lower ABV, sessionable beer, beers, or even, even in some cases, non-alcoholic beers. Um, so I guess it's sort of a two-part question to you. Is it possible, one, that younger generations will make you know, day drinking hard liquor, less taboo. And does it make sense 
to produce a lower ABV alcohol in in your business? No. I'm not saying I want Jeez, it. I I'll don't that want for it. You, Jay. I'm Shut just, up, Jake. I'm just curious, like Son of a, it, as problem? as the consumer population you know evolves. Um, you know, Mister Mister uh, High ABV over here. I know, Mister. Well, I'm not going to session. I'm not happy it's about it, but I mean, those are two big themes that we've talked <laughs> I, a lot about relative to beer. I don't want my hard liquor to be low ABV. What if that drives more day drinking for oh, you know? God. Then I don't want to live in this world consumers anymore. So the the first part, um, <laughs> when I when I go you can, out, you can uh, tell me he's an I, idiot. I mean, you can just say you're just so stupid, Jake. Go ahead, that's right. <laughs> Back on tracker. No, I'm fucking around. Uh, the first that part escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have that soundbite somewhere. It can take me a minute. Oh, there it is. Don't <laughs> talk, Jake. Don't talk about watering stuff down, dude. <laughs> Jay. You're allowed to rip into me all you want here. This will have nothing to do with our, <laughs> our professional relationship. Yeah. Escalate it quickly. Uh, there we go. <laughs> I think. I think. Uh, you know, for the younger generation coming out, um, man, there's there's a lot of ways to go on that, right? It's like experiential experiences and like watching a cool looking guy or girl with a ton of tattoos mix a cocktail versus uh, serve a beer. Like there's a whole difference there. I think what you're seeing in a lot of, like when I go to accounts and visit restaurants, the way they are more or less pacing service is I feel like there's been a definite attention and this is from big alcohol that's created this, right? And the whole cocktail resurgence that arguably ha- started happening like 10 years ago is your pre-dinner drink is a cocktail or they push you towards a cocktail, right? With that smaller cocktail menu and then that smaller selection of beers um, and maybe some wine on the back of that menu. Um, and I think you're seeing more people lean towards the cocktail based on all right, I'll have alcohol or hard spirit before dinner, eat dinner, have either wine or beer with dinner, and then finish with who knows what, and then the rest of the night go out into that. So I, I do think um, on-premise restaurants are almost building that behavior in the consumers, and that's what all these younger kids are kind of growing up with because they're not staying home, they're not cooking, uh, they're going out and they're racking up credit card debt or they have jobs and they just don't care about stuff that I don't know about you guys, but I was uh, um, 40 this year uh, and my parents just had a different methodology and I was stressed different things like don't spend your money, save it for a rainy day, right? That's not the case anymore. It's, well, let me go out and have fun while I can and enjoy what I'm doing while I can. So I think you're seeing more people get exposed to that pacing at restaurants and how they work. Um, So that's kind of part one, Um, just what I'm seeing in the market. Part two lower ABVs and stuff like that, we can't make, we can't classify certain spirits in the bottle at like whiskey cannot, it legally cannot be less than 80 proof. And I even personally can't stand whiskey at 80 proof. I like it higher. I like higher proof whiskey. Um, but that's just like anybody. Yeah. Like, uh, like Jake was saying, he likes high, high ABV beers, right? It's like you sit there and I'm you slowly wash. go more and more into this stuff, right? That's to each our own vices. Um, so we can't do that with whiskey. So as far as reducing that, that's not really something we can do. What we've focused on at our distillery is, um, 
convenience. So we do prepackaged cocktails. So we take our spirits and we do a mule, we do a gin, we do a Greyhound cocktail. We can those. And now we sell those to a lot of stores. So now that person um, has an alternative for a cocktail in a can versus beer. And I'm assuming you guys have seen kind of the explosion in canned wine that's been happening. Yeah. That's all the rage right now. Yeah. So I just think there's different options, right? The rest of us, wine and spirits are kind of catching up to where beer was. I think beer is and always will be king. Um, I think what you're seeing on the local scene as far as craft producers, right, and people talking about that and the rumblings, I think it gets back to running a well-rounded business and a diversified diversified revenue streams, essentially, right? Like how do you protect yourself on stuff and what do you see as a threat, a.k.a. Uh, cannabis, that whole market that's about to drastically change the, the, the playing field. Preach it. Like, how do you go from there? <laughs> Jay, are you seeing growth in your, your metrics, your data on those canned, uh, you know, pre-mixed drinks? Yeah, the canned cocktails for sure. Um, really? Those, those have come out. They've been interesting. It depends on the retailer. A lot of retailers still kind of don't know what to do with them or how to kind of draw attention to them and separate them from beer and wine. Um, but it's I've, really it's a convenience piece. I'm struggling to find those options and and yeah, it's whether it's a liquor store or a supermarket. And not only yeah. is it hard to find, but it seems like sort of uh, with what you're saying, they don't know where to shelf them. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. They're like, but the ones, I'll give you a the ones I have real life been like example. really sweet. That's why I've yeah. just shied away from because like they douse it with sugar and you're like, wait a second. Jay, what, what was the one you shared? Highball? Was that the one that I had? Yeah. Had yeah so we have a, a whiskey highball for sure. Um, we have fantastic. six in total. But to give you an idea, kind of like how all this works. So we launched those two summers ago. We loaded in the Wrigley field. Um, and then we started loading the Whole Foods, Binnie's, right? All those places. So that was two summers ago. Now you're seeing this summer, finally, things are starting to catch on. And now, although Mariano's was acquired, acquired by Kroger a couple of years ago and things were kind of on pause, but now we're finally starting to load into the Mariano's of the world, right? We're at specialty stores like Garfield's and places like that. Um, sorry, throwing in like promos for all the people that have been getting <laughs> Got to do it, I feel like, yeah. But you're starting to see it more and more. So we're starting to see um, a lot of those retailers, the larger retailers, what we call our chain retailers, um, take a look at it. Now, kind of, I don't want to say the last, because there's still plenty of ground to gain. We're starting to see the independent liquor stores, right, who are your local mom and pop shops that, you know, need to sell 20 cases of Jack Daniels and Bud Light just to stay profitable. We're starting to now venture into that world and say, Hey, people will buy this if you put it on your shelf, right? That's kind of the last horizon. And then it's just getting deep in those stores and letting them figure it out. And the consumer gets exposed to it slower and slower, but it's, it's growing slowly. If you can talk to Hartford wine and spirits, (laughs) Where I live, <laughs> I will buy. I will buy it. Whatever you. If you can get it delivered to me, I will buy. Text, it. 
text it to me and I'll send it to our salesperson and be like, go stop out there. Chad, uh, Adam and I'm I... Then I'll, then I'll text you and you have to go buy buy a four-pack that initial weekend. And I'm like, okay, we made a good decision. Yeah. You will. You will. Let's do it. That's, that's use us, Jay. Use us. We're, we're your guys in the field in the burbs. Use us. Um, <laughs> Chad, we just poured our second uh, gin and tonic here and I got to tell you, his it. Damn it is really good. It is very, very good. You are missing out, friend. So, um, Jay, we well, we are. Chad's Chad, like, fuck you guys. <laughs> we are beer nerds here. <laughs> Could you regale us with some uh, stories of doing business with uh, providing barrels to Goose Island? Yeah, for sure. Um, so that was actually kind of cool. Uh, so we did some business with the Brew Pub down on uh, Clybourne, um, and. How did John get a hold of me? I forget how John got a hold of me. I know a guy who used to work there who's at uh, Cruz Blanca, the head brewer at Cruz Blanca. I feel like John got a hold of me through him. Um, so John's one of the brewers at the brew pub down there. He reached out to me. We do a whiskey. Uh, we do a couple different whiskeys that we call our American single malt whiskeys that are derived from beer mash bills. So like I take the malted barley for a stout and I turn it straight into a whiskey. And now it has the heavier kind of coffee and chocolate type notes that you would get from the roasted barleys and the heavier uh, roasted caramel malts. But anyways, John had our, we did one called an American Brown. So it was a brown ale. We turned into a whiskey and he had it and he loved it. And it was the, shit, I'm going to get this wrong. Was it just the 30th anniversary of BCBS? I don't even know that. No, not that long ago. Well, no, no. it might be because they started. No. They did their initial. No, that was mid nineties. Tw- yeah, I was gonna it, say it, yeah. tw- when he did it. Twenty, twenty something at the oldest. Twenty. Okay. Yeah, it's probably it's a, it was probably twenty or maybe twenty five. Jay. At yeah. Max. Yeah. So for that, they were going back to their original barrel profile with Jim Beam, and because of the brew pub. That's not the stuff that goes to market. It just stays in the brew pub. Um, they wanted to put a local spin on it. So he reached out. He's like, hey, he's like, I have the, the brown ale. I love it. He's like, we wanted to do some of your bourbon barrels. So they took some of our bourbon barrels, um, and I talked him into the stout barrels as well, the stouted barrels that we had, because I my whole thing has always been, hey, man, if all these people love bourbon barrel-aged stout, to me, now you're really going to mind fuck people if you put a stout in a stouted whiskey barrel because everyone's going to be like, what the hell's that? And you're just <laughs> doubling down on that flavor profile. So they did it. They had it on tap. I think they got like nine cornies out of it. Um, and they had it on tap in the brew pub. So it was pretty cool, man. And, you know, people would ping me every once in a while. They're like, oh, your barrel's rat goose, you know, at the brew pub. And I'm like, that's awesome. So <laughs> it was cool to get a nod from, you know, the OG and and now big guys out there and they still obviously with the the wood program have a lot of cachet locally here so that was a fun little thing did, where did you have the beer uh yeah so they did it is a funny story i won't give the details because i don't know if you want me to but what happened to the beer they did it they put it in um, and then he decided to put, uh, put cherries in it. I believe, I think it was just cherries if I recall. And then he brought me over this super awesome, uh, like thermos Yeti type goose Island branded growler 
just because they have the coolest shit. Just because <laughs> all the chat people the they can. He brought yeah. it over in there. Yeah. The best part about it, he brought it over in there. We drank it together. Uh, John and his assistant brew over there. We had it and hung out, and then we left it there. And I put it on the back desk of the distillery, and the thing disappeared overnight. I came back. <laughs> I'm like to my staff, I'm like, what happened to that thing? I'm like, I want it. You know, the growler. Everyone's like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, damn it. Nobody <laughs> knows. Dicks. Ganked. Um, you, what, do you envision any, uh, I mean, what are you doing with your, your barrels right now when you're done with making whiskey other than perhaps, yeah, you know, who, else, there, who else are you going to work with? Are there gin? barrel traders out there? Yeah, that, what do you, you uh, what's, what's the barrel trade in world like? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of the asshole of it, I think. Cause there's a whole... <laughs> well, you fit in well on this podcast, sir. Yeah, right. There's a there's a whole barrel brokerage company or industry out there, um, and they sell for ridiculous amounts of money, right? Um, so when I get uh, when I have extra barrels, there's a email listserv for the Illinois Brewers Guild um, that you have to be a part of to be on there. So when I have spent barrels, to me now, they just take up space in the distillery because we're not in a large facility. So I just throw it out there, 75 bucks a barrel. And different breweries jump all over and come and pick them up. Um, I'm not as calculated as I should be about doing different collabs and projects. To me, I'm just like, I've got barrels taking up square footage. Get them the fuck out of here. So I lowball. I don't lowball on purpose. I'm just like 75 bucks is fair if you ask me. So you're just fucking up the market because you're just coming in just a price to, to move them. Yeah, I'm just like I don't <laughs> care. Get them out of here, right? And I'm like I'm not delivering them anywhere. You guys got to come down. These and pick brewers them up. are creaming their pants to get them at 75 dollars a pot, probably. Yeah, I know. Everyone's just like, what? I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Like, get them out of there. I mean, it's not many, right? It's like 10 at a time. So I'm not destroying anybody's livelihood that they've created in this whole brokerage world but it's still funny people are just like all right fine and so i've got a lot of phone numbers you know on like the barrel hotline now where people are like call me first i'm like okay i can help you barrel kickbacks yeah are they sending right? uh yeah barrel steaks can we can we man that phone for a little while right, the barrel I'm, hotline i would love <laughs> yeah, to be on the barrel right? hotline i know i, I, I want to gl- for a good I'll barrel create an email alias for you guys and be like, you guys handle this. As <laughs> <laughs> long as I don't get in trouble, this will be fine. Yeah, it's funny, nah. though, because when, when all the brewers come in, they're like, all right, when were these dumped? When was this, right? Because everybody's scared about uh, infections. And I'm right. like, listen, I'm like, this shit is sterile. There was just 125-proof booze in there. I'm like, <laughs> you can just throw a little bit of vodka in there, wet them down if you want, like whatever you need. I'm like, just stick your nose in there. Nothing is growing in there. You'll be fine. <laughs> Nothing's alive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is funny. Um, I tell you though, if you have us man your hotline, um, your barrels are probably just going to disappear into our hands <laughs> in our, our garages somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're going to build forts that, with your barrels. That's fine. <laughs> Barrel if, forts. If you leave, if you leave seventy five bucks, so I can buy something else, I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> Chad, you can cover that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so, uh, Jay, I, why do I always get stuck with the bill? I was at You're rich. the office recently because uh, I don't go in much, but I was there, and somebody walked by and dropped a paper on my desk, the business section, and, it, oh and I saw your mug right there, front and center. He's a celebrity. Yeah, we have a celebrity on the show. Wow. I think I think I'm in a. They title it that I'm in a trade war with China. Right? Yes, <laughs> I was like Jay, wow. taking on the trade war. Jeez, 
We thought Trump <laughs> had it going on. Look at this guy. Well, it's interesting because you really don't know the context of your distillery until you uh, you don't really get it from the front page. You kind of have to go to the story as it continues on like page seven, um, and then see how it's impacting sort of the whiskey, you know, the American whiskey producers to really uh, see it, but. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, wrong. my understanding yeah. is that this, uh, gosh, I can't remember now. I, I did read the article if it was tariffs or just trade war in general, but essentially the price of American whiskey, which is popular in Europe, is increasing. And it's to the point where consumers over there are like, you know, fuck that. I'll just go buy some Irish whiskey. And I believe you were quoted in saying there, because of this, you've shifted some of your focus instead of expand to Europe to instead focus on other states here, sort of, uh, um, you know, back home to expand into. Do I have the gist of the story there? That's it. You got it. Um, and that's it. So what we were doing is the way it works is the importers are now much more shy to bring on brands to take a chance on because obviously their price went up 25% just on importing, then they have their markup, right? And expenses they have to pay. So you're talking that that price possibly could have gone up 50 to 55% of where they used to sell it. Um, and I mean, there's great whiskey made in Europe, right? And made in Asia, you know, so you find now they're sitting there and they're mitigating their risk and saying, well, maybe I'll wait until this whole thing is over with the leaders in these so-called, well, in these countries. And I'll just go focus on, you know, the local stuff or stuff that they're not paying tariffs on. So you get less importers willing to do business with you and you have to ship to an importer unless you want to, you know, open up an office and do that, which is ridiculously expensive. So that's not going to happen. So, yeah, so all that kind of changed. We shifted on, um, I do a lot of now just kind of forward thinking and looking at what the future is and kind of what I sat and talked about with the, the cannabis industry and what's going to happen. We decided to kind of pull back on efforts and expenses of shipping that whiskey out. We said, let's just solidify the states we're in with whiskey and run some better programming and, and double down on sales efforts there. And then we allocated a little bit of money to R&D um, over into the CBD world, essentially. So CBD whiskey? Is that what you're saying? I applied for it. I applied for it. Right now, you cannot prepackage uh, alcohol with CBDs. And we did it for um, the canned cocktails that I referred to earlier. It was to now have some CBDs mixed into that. So the TTB, which is our governing agency from the federal side of things, uh, will not allow my form. I have to submit a formula, right? Like what's in the can. I have to submit that to the Fed. They take that to the lab. They break it down and confirm that everything is in that mixture that I say is in there. And then they give me approval and say, okay, now go get your label and then you can produce it. So when I mm. submitted that formula, they say, we're not going to approve the formula until the FDA officially rules on CBDs and uh, the effects on the human system, mind, all the above, uh, if it's mixed with alcohol. So they won't let me do it. So we're switching to uh, a non-alcoholic venture with CBDs. Hmm. Oh, Just trying to watch the future, essentially, and figure out, you know, what could really 
hurt what we love doing is making whiskey. It all comes back to what allows us to continue to expand or innovate so I can continue to make better and better and older and older whiskey um, is the gist of it. Now, do you think we already have some breweries, uh, you know, brewing with uh, marijuana? Mm-hmm. Um, is there any room for that within distilling? Like, I don't even know. Well, or, or is there any existing THC infused spirits? Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't maybe know in Colorado, because I know the states where recreational is legal. Right. Um, there are special rules in the state where they will allow you to do things outside of the federal jurisdiction, obviously, because the states are legal, but especially with prepackaging and alcohol, et cetera. Um, I just talked to a guy in Colorado that was telling me that. To me, it makes more sense since we do these canned cocktails. And to me, it's more of a, if someone's going to, you know, put their CBD oil or whatever, you make pop brownies, that whole kind of thing. You're mixing it into something else. So for us, we were going to do it into the cocktails um, and have it just be another ingredient in the cocktail, not necessarily like whiskey with weed, right? right. Like That's cool. There's probably a market for that, and there always will be a market for that once the U.S. deregs everything. But right now, our focus is kind of more on, all right, what, what would somebody at home buy a non-alcoholic, right? So like a, a different juice or soda water. And then mix that with their own cocktail or with their own alcohol by themselves and let the consumer ultimately choose what they want to do with it. That's our methodology on it. Interesting. Damn. Hmm. Now, is, is a craft distilling, I know of a couple craft distilleries around us. We went to one. What was that one called? Uh, Copper Fiddle. Yeah, them Copper Fiddle. Yeah, right on. Yeah, we went to Copper like Fiddle Zurich, a few years ago. Yeah. Um, what? How is that market right now? Like the craft beer market over the past oh, however many years, you know, it's kind of been booming. Obviously, is as a craft distilled market hit its boom, or you think it's got a lot of room still to go? Um, I think the the market's going to shed some weight here a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as well, let me think. Uh, a year ago, there was a federal bill, the craft, I think it was called the craft beverage modernization tax, yep. which reduced the federal excise tax for distilleries. So a uh, craft brewery pays less taxes on a, a can of beer than, you know, the what's in a, a large American Yingling, right? We'll go with that. Like, a, even though I think they probably still classify Yingling as craft in the yep. U.S., yeah, but let's just say Budweiser. Ying, well, Ying, Ying, Yingling's the number one craft. Craft. Okay, so they're still craft. Yeah. Yep. So but Budweiser is brewery. not, by the way. Budweiser is not craft. Just so we get that clear. <laughs> just yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking like American owned. Huge right? no, like, fans here, Jay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, but anyways, so what this bill did is it gave us in the spirits world parity. And so we pay now a reduced excise tax. And it was a probationary period for two years. So come February next year, we'll see if this bill gets signed into permanent law. If it doesn't, our so our federal excise taxes were reduced 10x. Okay. 
So and that bill I used to pay every year for $60,000 is now $6,000. So I have a two-year window that I have a year left on that. If that doesn't get passed, again, if it doesn't get signed in the permanent law, which if you guys, you know, there's all sorts of ways it either can or can't. It's just kind of one of those crazy things and how bills get done. If it doesn't, I think you'll see a handful of distilleries across the country, probably, you know, anywhere from 15 to 25% shut down because their costs are going to jump back up. And it's, it's just overwhelming to get over that tax burden that's out there. Um, If it does get signed into law, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm sure you'll see people keep going, right? Because everybody has a dream and everybody has a passion and what they like to do. And then the market will essentially figure itself out. There's a major consolidation of distributors on the spirit side of things. I'm not sure on the beer side of things, kind of what you guys hear, but there's been more and more um, the breakthrough beverage and Southern um, of the world, they've been buying up more and more of the middle, uh, you know, those medium-sized distributors. So there's less opportunities for people to actually carry your product and get it on store shelves because we cannot self-distribute in our world. We have to go through a distributor. So mm. there's less people that want to deal with, you know, small guys. So I don't know what's going to happen. What but I do think you more, if that Jay? doesn't get passed, it's going to shed a little bit. Do, do, what will help? You more paying, paying more, or th- or watching the the industry, the market get you know thin the herd a little bit. I mean, will that knock out any of your competition if that doesn't? Pass? I think, I think the herd could be thinned. I don't think anybody will be, you know, as far as consumers, nobody will be cheated by that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's when you go around and do these different you know, shows and random things that happen. We don't have as many in the distilling world. We have probably like four or five big ones throughout the year. Um, And you try different whiskeys king in this world, like whiskey holds the highest margins. You get your connoisseurs and people that follow your brand off of whiskey, but there are a handful more, probably more than a handful of like not good whiskeys out there from some craft producers. Um, So I don't think it's a bad thing that the herd gets thinned a little bit. Uh, I think it's natural, right? It's that attrition that kind of needs to happen. It sucks for the people that are out there, but, mm-hmm. you know, Judge Schmale says it best, you know, the world needs ditch diggers too, right? Um, it's that kind of world. I mean, you just got to deal with it. And it's If you don't keep up and if you don't, if you're not committed to the craft, it's it passes you by and you get left behind. Now, in, in the beer world, you know, you have the people who are craft or nothing else, right? Like, there's no way mm-hmm. they're going to touch a Miller brand. They're not going to touch a, a AB and Bev brand. Is it the same? Are, you, are there any people out there who are the same way when it comes to their whiskeys? Because, like, when I go to the whiskey aisle, I honestly, I don't know, you know, who owns who. Like when I go to the beer aisle, I know, okay, InBev owns them, InBev owns them, InBev owns them. I know how to steer myself to, okay, this is the local guy I want to get to. Is it? Yeah. Are you seeing that within the craft distilling industry where you have some people who are like, you know, I don't want to go to big distilling? Big big distilling, whatever that would be called. Yeah. Yeah. Small distilling? I don't. I think, I don't see that. I I mean, there is a lot of confusion because, 
there's a lot of contract distillation. There's a lot of what we call brand creation, right? Of just people that have money, like I want to start a whiskey brand. The number of emails we get of people that are like, Hey, we had your vodka. It's great. Can you make a vodka brand for us? It's like fucking no, man. Like I'm, no. <laughs> I'm trying to keep up with my own. Is shit. it George Clooney? Um, Who is it? <laughs> to be honest, I would. Be honest. Dear, I, I would make that guy vodka. Then I would do it, with George. I'd do it for George. I'd do anything for George. He, he listens to you guys, right? Tell yeah. him. Tell him the call. Obviously, George, give him a call. Him and JT. Um, yeah, but no, I don't think we have that as much, and it's it's different too because. For us, like if you talk about your core large brands uh, that are out there, you know, the Knob Creeks of the world, the Four Roses, Wild Turkeys, et cetera, you know, and then bring in the mysticism of the Peppy Van Winkle and that whole thing. Um, those are all those are all good whiskeys. And it's not their fault they're at that scale and that large. They still make good products and they make the products well right? It's not like they cheat it. What I tell people more is be smart about sourced whiskey. And there's nothing wrong with sourced whiskey if it's at the right price point and they're transparent about it, right? If they're like, hey, this was made by, you know, MGP in Indiana, it's 25 bucks for a fifth, which is reasonably priced. And it's the same as a handful of other whiskeys that are out there. And you know that that's fine. The problem is I have more of an issue in the craft world of people are like, well, we couldn't afford to open a distillery. So we sourced whiskey for the first five years until our whiskey was ready. And that's like, well, then you shouldn't open a fucking distillery. You should have done something else. Right. It's to me, it's, and if they don't talk about it, right. And the transparency is not there. That's a problem. And I would say to people to look out more for that, but it's very hard to figure that out unless you're educated on how to read what I would say the back of the label on a bottle of, of spirit. So it's got to say distilled by, um, and then list the distillery legally. You can't put distilled by on there. If you didn't distill it at that premise of where that distillery is. Now, is there like in craft beer, the bad guy would be in Bev, right? Like that's, that's right. Well, there's I mean, some there's some others. Miller and Corn, um, but and whoever owns Lagunitas now. Um, but would would there be like that's when, definitely when, the biggest one when it comes to the craft distilling? Is there like that's there, the bad guy? Is there a bully that's like trying to own all the distribution and just all the shelf space and just being a dick? A huge. That's a good question. I was buying up yeah. craft distilleries. Curious to this myself. I, yeah. I try. I try, Chad. I try every now and then. I come up with one. <laughs> um. Well, first I'm. Um, sh- but Jay, Go before ahead. you before you answer that question, who's the 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 big whiskey source manufacturer? Is uh, M? It's an initials, right? M- MGP. Yeah. MGP. Shawana? Yeah. Oh, that's a guy. It's a different guy. My fault. It's it's, it's the gin talking. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so no. So is gym. that it, it, does MGP come come into play in your answer here? Not really, because. Prior to MGP being MGP, they were LDI, and prior to that, they were part of Seagram's. Um, uh-huh. So, so for them, they're like, we're a distillery. We've always distilled, and they had all their own brands back in the day. Okay, um, they now MGP now comes to market with their own brands as well. So they're kind of almost a victim to the industry, where they're like, 
well, we were distillery, we kept on distilling stuff. We had all this whiskey stock, right, sitting in all these rick houses that was aging. And now all of a sudden you have people that want to create these whiskey brands and they're going to buy barrels off us. Awesome. We're a business. We're here to sell barrels of whiskey. So it's not like they're out there trying to undermine the market. Um, it's more or less the lack of integrity in a sourced whiskey brand owner who is undermining the market. Who's like, well, shit, this is a shortcut. I could just buy. It's simple mathematics. I can buy a barrel of whiskey for $3,000. I can get, you know, let's just call it 200 cases of whiskey out of there. And that's going to make me $12,000. So I'm in the, I'm in the black. Let's go do it. Right. And they do marketing. So it's a little bit different. It's not necessarily like the producer. They're not the, the InBev, right. They're not like, well, fuck it. Let's just put a shitty product out there and <laughs> buy tap handles, right. Well and throw the cash all around and try and screw the little guy and just buy anybody who gets and all that the distribution up anymore. Right. You know, mm -hmm. force yeah. all the distributors are supposed to be independent and what they do, Jay. And, um, and cause mm -hmm. it's state by state, that law that rules uh, distribution. So yeah. if they can buy the distribution in some states, they do. Yeah. There's a handful. Oh, yeah. We're uh, in Arizona. We're in an InBev house, uh, InBev distribution house, you know, and it's, I mean, the challenge is, is beer can't sell liquor. We were there and we laid up there because I had a buddy who at the time worked for uh, Four Peaks, which is a big Arizona, the local brewery out there. And he was, was like, I was there back in uh, February. Ah, right on. Nice. Yeah. He's like, if you go anywhere, go here. He's like, they at least can deliver to every single bar in the state. Um, so we were there and I get it. I see, you know, when you go there, there's an Eagle all over the place. They're good people. They're great people. They sling bud and bud light and four peaks and goose and all that kind of stuff. Um, but like they don't do much for alcohol, right? It's, it's a different sale. So I've seen what you guys are kind of talking about. I'm just not as intimate in the beer world like you guys are, but it's like, no, no, no. But is king, and everybody else comes after that. Yeah, yeah. Not for me. <laughs> well, for, me. <laughs> for 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 their business. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I mean, ultimately, I don't think there's anybody that's you know the big evil out there because you know I'll just call it Kentucky and Tennessee. I mean, they make booze. They make it well. Like they make it in a different way than we do in the craft world, but. In our world, it's leveraging economies of scale, and, and it's a capital-intensive game. Like, they've been in it for a long time, and they have it out there. And, yes, you know, when it comes to pushing product and making sure it's out there, A, some of their stuff isn't good. Some of their stuff is good. So the good stuff commands it. But there is a lot of the shenanigans that happens at the, you know, bar and restaurant level as far as, uh, we'll just call it grease and we'll just label it as that the grease that's out there. The grease is out there. Same as in the beer world, same as probably in the wine world and in the booze world. Like that's just, that's life. You, you can't deal on that. And there are different bars that offer different things. There's just, I think a lot more opportunities in beer right now because it's, it's so large and prolific, especially in Chicago. And there's a lot of great stuff being made by a lot of craft guys. And, you know, hopefully spirits will catch up to that in the next 10 to 15 years as well. I mean, a lot of what I've been reading, we kind of talked about in the last episode, is that, and I blame the millennials for everything that goes wrong <laughs> in the world, but, um, <clears throat> you know, but millennials are kind of sliding to this low ABV 
beer world, but they're also sliding to, according to what I've read, um, hard alcohol. You know, and so where do where do you see craft distilling going? I mean, obviously, I think you 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 hope it grows, right? But yeah, what what do you see? You're looking ten years out. You know, is is craft distilling the hot thing, or is it going to be you know slower than that and take it longer than that to get to kind of where craft beer is? You know, or where there's a craft a craft uh, brewery. What do they say every every two miles or whatever it is from person? I don't know what it is. Or there's craft craft yeah, breweries or everywhere. I mean, do point. you turn into this? Um, you know, are you? Is your biggest growth and, and your biggest sustaining with this younger generation the the canned uh, drinks and perhaps you know what you sort of carry your brand on because what we see a lot Jay when we when we study these um and we discuss and we review these I was gonna say study is a big word we'll lose that we use that word loosely I don't, I don't study much uh, but, but but you know some of these breweries still <laughs> carry their high ABV. Uh, their barrel age series. I mean, that's like, you know, we're going to release it this time every year. And yeah, right. you know, the beer nerds like us want to drink that. But I think a big part of that is just them selling a brand and having brand awareness and having some excitement. But it's not really where they're they're making their money. Um, so, you know, for you, does it become, you know, having some sort of eight-year aged bourbon, you know, that drives the name Chicago, but that's not... Not really what you're you're pushing on that daily basis. Yeah, um, with the man, it's hard with the millennial piece that we're talking about, or even the I don't know the generation coming up after them. Um, but that's also a pretty powerful generation. I think it's convenience and experience, right? They want an experiential thing. They want to see somebody or someone who's connected to making something. And it's not just craft alcohol. It's craft everything, right? I live in Logan Square. The epicenter of everyone and their mom has a studio in their apartment, (laughs) you know, and then make anything and everything you can make by hand, right? And that's just part of it. But I think that's more part of when we grew up, you know, like I'm 40. Jake, I think you're around my age. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but it's like everything was, yeah. Like remember the movie gung ho, man, like everything was just no efficiencies, mega manufacturing. Right. So I think it's getting back in touch with what you can do with your hands. So I think that's part of it. So for us, the experiential part of things is being available, doing tours, showing people what we do. When we do our tour, we're like, here's literally how, the sacrification process of malted barley and grain works and how we make alcohol from that. And I think people resonate to that and they, they respond to it and they're like, cool, I learned something, right? You want to leave someone with something that they didn't know before they came in. Even it's one thing, even it's like bourbon is a whiskey. It's not its own thing, right? Cause a lot of people get confused about that. So anyways, that's kind of, where I'm seeing the millennial piece come and just our approach to it is being available and having people come in and experience it with us. Um, as far as where everything goes to and, you know, for us doing the cans, et cetera, like my deep, dark fantasy is that I can completely remove myself, not completely remove myself, 
but I can go and just make weird whiskeys and dumb whiskeys <laughs> and sit on them until the day I die. Right. So I, I continue to play with malted barley and all these different creations and just make and be a small teeny tiny distillery. That's literally, I thought about creating a whiskey club just cause I sit there and I've seen the type of money people have where you just sell a membership. It's like, all right, you have a hundred person membership. It's like a country club for whiskey and you guys pay your annual dues, you know, a couple thousand dollars. And then that affords me to be able to go and just make whiskey on a, a small pot still and lay it down. And then everybody has dibs, right? It's like a massive private barrel club essentially. And those like whiskey clubs exist out there. And then with everything else and like running the business and, the cans and convenience and keeping up with trends and what's happening and all that stuff. Let someone else take that over. Cause that gets exhausting. And that's kind of stuff that keeps you up at night. And it's like, shit, are we investing our money in the right spot? I got to buy 300,000 cans. Is that the right thing to do? Or do I want to tie that money up somewhere else? Like that gets old to me. It's like, I just want to make whiskey and I want to make interesting whiskey and let it sit in age and have the ability and time and resources to let it do that. And that's kind of, pie in the sky, right? Like who wouldn't want to do that? But that's kind of where I'm trying to take things with our shop and with our organization is you've got your one or two labels that get the job done, right? And then everything else is that experimental side of things where your hardcore people, you know, like you guys that really get into stuff, you can come and try that, you know, in eight years, in 12 years and have that opportunity experience. I don't know. It's uh, it's the whole thing of the rat race versus not laying it up and going to the country, but just taking a breath and going and hanging out and just living your life and actually enjoying your life as opposed to being caught in it. You know, that's it's that's the human spirit. What we all kind of have to try to balance to stay sane, I guess. So I don't think I really answered your question, but that's kind of <laughs> no, I, <laughs> my, it worked my for me. Thought. I think you did. I mean, let somebody else be. You know. Pinky in the brain and do all those <laughs> world domination. You know, well, but basically let somebody else, you know, continue to try to keep up with the trends and 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 pump out the product that's going to sustain the the R and D and the fun stuff and, and and help you find the balance. Well, speaking though of trends, what what is what's the trend right now going on in the distilling world? Oh shit! What's, um, what's the hot the, trend for summer twenty twenty nineteen? Trend yeah. isn't happening, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, specific. Oh, the media was the other piece. I think the media will always talk about craft distilling, but I don't think it will ever rec- uh, realize the peak. You know, what is it? Eleven percent, eleven and a half percent is what the craft beer market owns in the total beer market. Mm-hmm. I don't think the distilling will ever get there. I just it's yeah. a Why, whole well, different ballgame. What is it, Jay? Why do you think that is? Though? I, is that just because it's a higher alcohol content and they don't want to promote that or what's the percentage now though? Uh, we're at, you know, according to, and I think Tito's is included sells a craft distillery, right? So that's really? like our, well, I, I'm not going to draw the parallel cause I'm not in tune in the, is in the beer businesses distillation, but Tito's is still a craft brand. I think we own like 2.7% of the total market. I think we'll get to, we'll probably maybe double that and maybe at the very highest get to 8%. It's it's just different because it's all going to be as far as profitability, whiskey driven, as far as volume driven, vodka. And there's nothing great about vodka. It's Mm. there. You want to buy a cheap bottle of vodka. 
whiskey, it's different. That's a right. whole different interaction with the person. I yeah, four years ago, I would never buy another liter of Skull Vodka. Um, <laughs> I, I've got a question about vodka. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Because I hear people talk all the time about, like, oh, man, Smirnoff gives, gives me this massive headache <clears throat> next day. Or if I drink Grey Goose or Belvedere or whatever it is, I feel fine. Is there anything to that? I mean, is vodka vodka or is there? No, I'm there. I mean, chemistry wise, yes. Um, there can be something to that. So there can be more traces of methanol in your spirit versus ethanol. Um, I, a lot of that stuff really comes down to, I mean, it sounds weird, but conditioning of your body. So like for a while, I didn't drink beer. I was on uh, spirits for a really long time. <clears throat> Excuse me. I went back to drinking beer um, and I started to get, you know, the next day it felt like I smoked a pack of cigarettes, et cetera. <laughs> I talked to a guy that ran the quality control lab for a really big craft, quote unquote, brewery around here. And he was like, no, no, no. He's like, what's getting to you is you've been off the fecal oils and the hop oils from beer. He's like, so your body's got to reaccustom to that. Oh. He's like, and that's giving you the cloud, et cetera. And there's a kid that has a PhD hmm. um, from, what was it, UC Davis, I think. I don't know, one of the big brewing programs out there. And it's worked anywhere and everywhere, macro and micro. Um, so I was like, okay, cool. So for me, it's more of what's your brand, what's your body used to, and it's like anything, you're conditioning your body to be able to tolerate it or not. They're, they're all poison. Alcohol is poison, sure, right? Yeah. And it's just the amounts you take. And it's like a Princess Bride. Since we're doing a lot of uh, movie analogies. <laughs> and the smart guy, whatever, has built so, up the tolerance to the poison. <laughs> Jay, what you're saying is drink a lot of everything and you won't have that feeling. Preach. There you go. Preach. <laughs> well, um, I, I do want to be, uh, you know, aware of your time jay um i i'm gonna ask my last question um i mm-hmm. don't know about these guys because you are a different interview for us thank you so much for being on here absolutely yeah. your gin is fantastic um, yeah. i look forward to trying more of your stuff my last question is so jay's had a long week he's been at the distillery he's been dealing with shit there <laughs> he's had Asshole customers like myself and his other job <laughs> asking dumbass questions. It's Friday. It's you been, ask dumbass questions? Never. It's been a long week. What does Jay come home and drink? What what is is he going for a beer? Is there something is there a hard liquor? Is it something that he produces? Is he tired of his stuff? Is it something that he likes? You know what? What is? It's been a long week. What is? What is? What does Jay reach for on that Friday? Yeah. So uh, first drink is a beer. Always a beer. Um, depending randomly what I have in my fridge, um, and I do a lot of exchanges with local breweries. There's a, a big barter system when you make this stuff. So it's always something different rotating. So I'll have a beer. I'll rock uh, some CBD oil drops in between that, and then I'll move on to whiskey. Um, and then it depends if I'm cooking or not. Um, maybe like two or three times a year, it'll be a, a glass of wine after that beer, but I always drink a usually like a lager or pilsner, right? Something light, um, probably like four to five ABV 
just to kind of take that quick edge off. And then depending on how the night's going, I either get after it or just have one or two other drinks after that. Well, let's say you get after it. So a little CBD (laughs) and then, and then what are we doing? I always rock CBDs. Are you looking for brands? Do you want me to throw brands or categories? Whatever you're comfortable with. You could be a category. It's your call. So for beer, I go to a lot of German lagers, um, and I'll just go to the local store here, whatever they have here. Um, I dig that world and like it a lot. Right now I'm drinking, I don't know what you guys' stance is on, the brewery, but uh, I share an employee with this brewery, Lagunitas, and I have a super... Mm -hmm. The Super Cluster Ale right now, um, we did a big holiday swap with them. A lot of those brewers come in and drink at the at our tasting room. Um, and then I drink the the whiskey I drink a lot of is uh, Four Roses. I like a lot of their stuff, and mm-hmm. I like a lot of Wild Turkey. Yeah, Four Roses on my shelf. Yeah, I dig it, man. It's a good it's one. Good stuff. Mon- Monkey good. Shoulder, too, is one that I found tastes really good. Although they advertise it as a mixing whiskey, but I don't mix it with anything. What is that? You cut out a little bit. Um, monkey shoulder. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a uh, scotch. Yeah, I can't yeah. do scotch personally. It's not oh. my my forte. I've tried a lot of good stuff. It, I just can't I can't get over that peat, man. Different yeah. form. Try monkey shoulder. It's monkey not, shoulder it's not peaty. Yeah, it's not peaty at all. Yeah, that's they came to market. I think four or five years ago and a big push in the cocktail world. That yeah. What you, you're talking about, the mixing yeah. whiskey. Yeah. When you go to the website, it's all about mixing them. And I'm like, why would you mm-hmm. mix this? <laughs> yeah, mix it's it good by anything. itself. It's very good by itself. Yeah. So that's it, Jake. That's what I'm doing. And my CBD oil varies. I'm still trying to find a vendor of choice. And I'm starting to source my own anyways. So fuck it. I'll make my own stuff. <laughs> 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 you know, it, it's funny. We, um, so kind of go down the CBD trail. My my daughter has ADD and we went to CBD to kind of help her out. And my my wife's doctor's husband makes CBD oil. And that's where we get it from. And uh, my, my daughter stopped taking her ADD meds and just uses CBD. So um, it's kind of amazing. But Interesting. Um, my son's yeah. in the same boat. Yeah. I might, uh, we might talk offline on this. Yeah. It was, it's, it's, yeah, I was pretty surprised. So, um, I wonder if CBD would work for one of my dogs. <laughs> oh, it's, it's all over the pet world. It is. Or, you can, you can it get, is. But, but, all over. But what's crazy is you can get CBD for pets so much cheaper than you get CBD for yes. humans. Yes, which is why I well, just synthetic. buy dog the CBD. Pet, the pet CBD is synthetic, so they create oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah, so I've done a, like, I talked about R&D in this world, and I'm super geeked out on it right now. Um, a lot of the pet stuff is just, I mean, synthetic versus natural. You can copy any wow. essentially yeah. chemical coating that's out there, right? They can create that in a lab. So a lot of the pet stuff is synthetic because it's delivered to pets. I think you'll see that change, hopefully, as uh, cannabis is more of a commodity-grown crop because there's more and more growing acres going up, like, by the second. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that'll change. But a lot of that's synthetic. That's if, I, if I could get one of my dogs to smoke weed and chill it out, that'd be great. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> two two out of my five could definitely benefit from smoking weed. <laughs> well, Jay, uh, yeah, I got you. one. one oh, okay, go ahead. Oh, Jay. you got a question? No, no, it's all you, man. You're, it's your show. I'm just here to, to drink the. <laughs> drink the, drink no, the gin. I, I had I just had a quick question about your your logo. It's a uh, very. Um, <clears throat> 
Soviet looking. <laughs> Which logo is it? We there have was, a ton of them out there. There was no collusion. <laughs> Just the uh, well, I'm looking at Proven. your website. I'm looking at your website with the star above Chicago Distilling and the font okay. is, is the font is very, you know. Yeah, man, blocky. Yeah. Communist? Yeah, I'll give you the background. So uh Rocky our Ford. designer is a local guy, Don Gus, a buddy of mine. Um, so our original logo had that blocking, but in the back there was a large anatomical heart. Um, and the whole thing, like when we talk about distillation, there's had the heart cut, which is ethanol, and then the tails. Okay. Um, so we're like, all right, cool. Have the anatomical heart back there. It's kind of punk rock. We dig the big blocking, et cetera. The problem is the anatomical heart was so detailed that not a lot of printers for merch and shit like that and everything else that goes on in our world could replicate it. So we dropped the heart and then we just left that. And Don loves, he does us as like a side gig, right? He works in an ad firm downtown and has 30 plus years of experience in brand development, et cetera. Don loves massive major blocking because it's all about shelf presence and that type of thing. That's kind of where that custom font came from. So, okay. uh, my brother might be a communist. I'm definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but no collusion there at all. I think I knew a, a handful of Russian kids growing up, but that was it. That was just with like the early to like mid Russian immigration to Chicago, essentially. Well, I, I, I love it. It's, it's very striking. You know, it's, it's attention getting. So I, I, I like it. And that's what I, I was like, I got to ask about this. Makes me want to drink yeah. vodka. <laughs> vodka. Right and then the, the star is just the Chicago star from the flags. If you're not a oh, sure. with it. Yeah. Yep. So yep. yeah, Chad, it's a Chicago star. Come on, dude. <laughs> Hey, I know I don't live in Chicago, but I'm a Cubs fan. I know what the star means. Hey, man, I love Milwaukee. I love coming down to it's uh, Bayview, right? In that whole area down there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. And, dig it. And downtown, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Jay, thanks for thanks for joining us. Now, where? What are the places you can send us to to definitely for this gen for one? I'm definitely picking up a bottle of this. This shit is right on. good. Like we're yeah. in the Chicago area, um, and the Milwaukee area, and the Milwaukee area, or even just across the country. Where where are you guys available at? Yeah, so uh, I'll go Milwaukee first. I mean, the no brainer that I know for sure is Woodman's in Kenosha. Um, okay. We can do that. Total in, total on Brookfield, possibly. I know we talked to them early on, but I don't know if we ever converted in the total, just because there's different kind of hurdles to get through there. Um, okay. Uh, in the Chicago area, Benny's is probably your best bet. I'd go there. If they don't have anything, just always ask. They're, the staff there comes in all the time. They're highly educated on what our products are. You just have to even go to the, the customer service desk. Even the Benny's out in the Burbs? Yeah, you ask. They'll uh, they'll ship it out if it's not, but they're uh, they're pretty good. Otherwise, Garfield's is a specialty out there. Like um, and then we're getting more independent liquor stores opening up. Do you know uh, specifically about Woodman's and Menominee Falls? Mm. What, 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 what about this out. address? Do you know about this address? I, and... <laughs> well, I mean, Woodman's in Kenosha, that's, I mean, that's, 
an hour from me. Uh, Woodman's in Menominee Falls is 25 minutes. I'll bring you a bottle of chat. I'll find out. Woodman's is tough because they're all, uh, they buy independently from each other. Okay. Um, Okay. So (laughs) we've definitely been there. We started to layer into some festivals. Um, So I don't know if it's festival that far south in Wisconsin. Uh, they're in Oshkosh, which is an hour from me, north of me. I don't know. What about I, I 122 know. South First Street? He delivered there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't we we don't need to get into those details on the show. But. What is it, Sendix? Right, that's that's Milwaukee. It is a Sendix. Yeah, Sendix is 20 minutes away. I feel like we did some business there. Can you just uh, deliver to Chad's house, please? My God. Just Jay, deliver it directly you, you, to Chad. Can, you please can I let, give you my address and just <laughs> yeah, leave the truck in front of my house? <laughs> can you let me know when the secret whiskey club starts? Because I will pay to be a part of that. Well, I was going to say the whiskey club, a lot of breweries that, actually do have. Is that available yet? Yeah, a lot of breweries have the clubs. Like, you know, Three Sheeps has one. Um, a lot yep. of the smaller ones, there's one in Evans, I can't remember what it is. They have those beer clubs. What, few? No, no, it's a, a brewery. Oh, a brewery. Um, yeah, where yeah. they do do. They do 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 do. They do they those do. clubs um, for beer. Yeah, I don't do. think it'd be far off to do a whiskey. Well, we've tried to get the one. You know, three sheets. We want to be in their barrel age club, but yeah, it's like it's they, don't, they don't. They don't take a new member until somebody leaves. Yeah. So that's why I'm asking Jay. I will pay to be on the ground floor if that happens. Yeah, he'll pay for all three. Yeah. Of us. For all for three us, of us, I think a lot of it revolves around our website and our uh, web developer disappeared like two years ago, and <laughs> we've never been able to. Like find someone else that wants to do it. So once we can uh, sign people up online and it's an automated process, then we'll probably start something. Other than that, we've just been like, ah, fuck. <laughs> like here, here's a list of shit we want to get to, right? Which takes forever. So that's one of them. That's on my back burner. All and right. my wife is just like, dude, we got to pay the bill. Don't worry about that shit. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> people will pay for that. <laughs> I, people, I mean, maybe that's a break even. Maybe the other stuff pays pays for it, but you know. Yeah. Hey, if you know a web developer, send him my way. All right. I haven't taken the time to figure that world out again yet. All right. I'll find you a web developer. <laughs> Wave my feet. I mean, I, I, could, be, I could be a web developer depending on how don't, well it pays. Don't, Chad, shut up. don't trust him at all. <laughs> <laughs> I could be a web developer. Thank you, Jay. He can, he can barely yeah, run his computer. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, if anybody in the Chicago area or Wisconsin or Arizona, did you say Arizona? Yeah, you're all over, man. Arizona, Australia, Australia. Yeah, the Aussies, bring them in. Yeah, Jay, what, what were Get the what were the states real real quick? Uh, so Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Minnesota, Missouri, Kansas, Florida, Arizona. Okay, get that thing. shit. This gin is damn good. Damn good. Right on. I appreciate it. Chad, you are missing out. Yeah, Chad. I, I'm not a huge gin fan. I'd love to try it, but I am definitely going to go for some, perfect. some bourbon as soon as I can find it. Nobody's perfect, Chad. It's all right. I'll mail you a letter to your address, <laughs> handwritten really poorly, of the liquor source I think we might be at in your area. I, think- <laughs> I want to see that letter. Please hit it the places hilarious. that you're not at, just so he goes there. <laughs> not in Fuck Jewel? We're not in... <laughs> All I, want some blind, all I want is some blind tiger. I just... <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. All right, Jay, thank you very much. We appreciate it, man. <laughs> all right, guys. I'll talk to you. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Jay.
right. that anyone can right. have. We're the three best friends that anyone can have, and we're always gonna hang out. Hey, everybody! Want to let you know after we got done recording this, we had so much fun uh, talking to Jay, just full of information. We went on talking for about twenty more minutes, uh, and that was recorded on audio only. So if you want to hear uh, the rest of the conversation that we had after uh, the video, head on over to uh, BeardedHops.com, and you can listen to it. There will be uh, the after show, is what we're going to call it. And for 20 more minutes of, of Jay talking, uh, well, just distilling, everything distilling. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, click that subscribe, the bell icon, all that stuff. You, you know what to do. Thanks, guys.